You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. In my role as an education and leadership coach, I work with school leaders to support them to improve their own well-being and that of all their staff. I also run group coaching programs for women leaders and have set up the Women Lead Well Coaching Network to provide a supportive network for female school leaders. I would love you to join that network. If it's something you would be interested in, you need to email me at vicky at womenleadwell.co.uk. Before we go to the interview today, I wanted to just chat with you about a survey that I read about that was to do with well-being. Teacher Tap conducted this survey about how much teachers prioritised their well-being. Now, I was surprised, but not surprised, to read that 18% of the teachers who took part in the survey never prioritise their well-being and 51%, I think it's a staggeringly high number, only prioritise their well-being at the weekends and a tiny, tiny minuscule percentage of teachers, 5% prioritise their well-being daily. Now I say I was surprised but not surprised because in the Teacher Wellbeing Index from 2020, 74% of educational staff reported experiencing behavioural, psychological or physical symptoms due to their work. And that can only come about as a result of poor well-being and not really prioritising your own well-being. Uh, I think in the last show, I talked about the onus being on individuals to improve their own well-being. Yes, there is a responsibility that schools have to look after their well-being of their staff. Of course there is. But as individuals, we are also responsible for our own well-being. So I just wanted to share some ideas really for how you can start to prioritise your own well-being better. And I think it starts with, first of all, doing this all the time, implementing some small daily changes and consistency is the key. Doing small things that help your well-being every day is really, really important. So I just thought I would share some ideas like focusing on your sleep, not doing that bedtime procrastination thing where you start watching a series on Netflix at 9.30 and you're still watching it at 1.30 in the morning, but going to bed at 10 o'clock, starting your bedtime routine and being asleep and getting a good amount of sleep. Eating well, is really important. Taking breaks, going for a walk, doing some weekday evening activities, whether that's playing football, netball, doing some sort of sport, going to some sort of club, tap dancing maybe, um, a dominoes club, anything that gives you that outlet and gives you something to look forward to during the week because often we don't do things during the week. I know I was terrible for saying no to things that my friends were doing. I wouldn't join in if it was a weeknight because I was just so focused on being in work and doing what I needed to do. So seeing your friends is another small thing that you can do and spending time with with your family as well is really important. Not letting that need to work take over virtually your whole life. So take that responsibility for your own well-being and do something small every day just to give you a bit of self-care so that you're looking after yourself and you're ready to face the next day. And hopefully we can start to increase that percentage of teachers who prioritise their well-being up from 5% anyway. So today on the show, I've got James Nottingham. James is the creator of The Learning Pit and he works with schools and educationalists around the globe, 
think he said he's going to Scandinavia next next week and he's worked in Australia and America and all sorts of places and he shares the best ways to strengthen learning. He's also a keynote speaker and he's written 11, yes you heard me right, 11 books about teaching and learning and leadership. He speaks with real insight and clarity about what you can do as a leader to improve well-being in your school. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Here's the interview. James Nottingham, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. I am honoured to have you as a guest on the show today. Um, It's so great that you've decided to join us. Um, How are you doing today? Very good, thanks. Yeah, nice to join you. Thanks for the invite. Excellent. You're welcome. So can you start by giving our listeners a little bit of an insight into you, a bit of your background, what you do and uh, what you're sure. doing now? Yeah, well, I guess my the main connection that people might have heard of is the learning pit. Uh, that's something I created to encourage learners to step out of their comfort zone, but also to give them Um, shall we say a shared language to be able to think about their learning and to uh, be encouraged rather than discouraged when they are struggling a little bit so that they think actually I'm struggling but that means I'm I'm getting I'm working it out I'm going to figure this one out rather than I'm struggling therefore I can't do it so perhaps the learning pit is something that I hope uh, many of your listeners will have heard of. My background is I started as a teaching assistant in a school for uh, deaf children on the correct side of the Pennines, Vicky, I have to say, in Yorkshire, but uh, we'll not linger on that too much. And then uh, I trained to be a teacher um, and I taught in uh, Cumbria in primary and then in secondary. And then I got a job um, in a middle school in Northumberland um, because I'd enjoyed both primary and secondary. And I'd been trained in philosophy for children uh, when I trained to be a teacher and I used this approach and uh, the BBC made a short film about the work I was doing and uh, it sounds pretty glamorous but it wasn't it was a five-minute schools program that went down at 9.25 one wet Friday morning I think but lots of schools got interested in in that approach and so I uh, went off uh, to share that with lots of different schools uh, to begin with in the northeast, but then it grew from there. And back in the day when there was the uh, Education Achievement Zone money yes. floating around, and there was a group of schools um, on the border uh, here in uh, Northumberland, between in uh, North Northumberland. So lots of schools doing pretty great stuff despite the circumstances but they wanted to do even better and they got some money and asked me to set up this project and I set up um, a project called Raising Aspirations in Society just a small thing to do you know and we we had such a a great start to it the the funders came to us and said you're the best project we've got on our books Um, we've got all this underspend would you like to spend it and like, well, how much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we've got £1.6 million swilling around. Do you want to spend it? And, you know, ironic given where we find ourselves these days, but it was European funding. And uh, I used that to roll it out across the Northeast. Um, and uh, then lots and lots of different countries got interested in what we were doing because we were. We were not focusing on grades. We were focusing on well-being and aspirations and enjoyment of learning and progress. And yet, of course, as you might imagine, when people are happier and more engaged and and feel like they're making good progress, funnily enough, the grades went up and up and up and up. So lots of countries got interested in what we were doing. It's really interesting you say that because one of the things that I talk about so often on the show is don't be don't be so bothered about the outcome, be more interested in the process because Mm, it's the process, it's the things that you do. I mean, obviously you have a vision and you know where you want to be, but Mm. don't sort of don't ground that in grades and results and numbers Mm. because the Mm. process, like you're saying, is is so important. It is. And I, I, I think, um, of course, as I'm sure you agree, it's not an either or. 
uh, situation. It's not either we focus on grades or we we do good education in inverted commas. Yeah. It is both. You know, I, I think grades are important. I, I want my own children to get good grades. I want my students to get good grades. Yeah. I want students in schools to get good grades because that gives them more opportunity. But I also know that grades are not sufficient. We want them to get good grades, but we also want them to be um, interested, active citizens. We also want them to have very strong mental health. We also want them um, to be independent, but also collaborative, we, and so on and so on and so on. There's so many things that we want for our students as well as grades. And so it's a, it is about thinking both of those, what are we going to do? I think it's really interesting because all of the things that you've just said apply to staff as well. One of the mm. things that I'd say on the show too mm. is that what you know about children applies to staff too. Yes. So when you're talking about, um, I think some of those things that you were saying, you know, when children feel happy and challenged and they do better work, staff are the same when mm. they're happy and challenged, mm. they do better work. So mm. what does... What does well-being mean to you in relation to schools and school settings? Yeah, it's interesting that that term well-being, I mean, let's say you asked the same question, but it'd be about what does intelligence mean? There are so many facets of... It's nebula. <laughs> indeed, you know, and in well-being, I mean, do you feel well? well? Are you talking emotionally? Are you talking physically, socially, financially, Um uh, physically and so on it, 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 there's this ex very expansive list but when I think about our education settings I, I'd say that the three key parts of well-being as it applies to staff and as it applies to staff in a school I would think part of it is that sense of purpose now we've chosen education because there is a moral purpose to education it's not like banking is it I mean we you know we've we've chosen what we believe to be a a very good um, uh, way to spend your life of course then there are lots of problems within education and so our sense of purpose takes a, a knock quite often you know when you're filling in yet another report that you think no one's really going to take very much notice of and does this really impact the children's education you know that but nonetheless I would say purpose I think there's also about mastery you know you have to feel that you, you're doing a good job and particularly in teaching you know it's not like have you written that form out correctly it's have you helped these children to flourish and that's a massive responsibility on our shoulders there so there's there's purpose there's mastery and then I do think we need a sense of autonomy and I don't mean operating with closed doors in our silos as we once did back in the day I mean autonomy in I've got this shall we say, I, uh, this efficacy. I am allowed to choose. I'm given the freedom to choose the ways in which my pedagogy is going to be adjusted for these students. Now, you and I, before this podcast, had a very interesting conversation about pupil referral units or alternative provision. And we know perhaps even more than usual that there is no one size fits all. You can't treat a bunch of kids all in the same way. You have to adjust. And so that autonomy, I don't mean it to indicate that I think we do whatever the heck we like. I think it's much more about we have to be given that freedom within which, within that framework, for example, freedom within the curriculum or freedom within the staff room to be able to adjust to be able to um, start from where our students are or our colleagues are and yeah. to adjust accordingly. 
So there's that purpose, mastery and autonomy. I think those are three that I would emphasise, but certainly they're not the only three. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that because they are things that come up regularly on the podcast, that having that sense of purpose and being allowed as a leadership team, allowing your staff team to explore that and to go back to that and to find it again and work out their values and how that links into purpose. Mm. And that idea of mastery through effective mm. CPD and professional development for staff and the autonomy to that, so that staff feel like they're trusted to do what they've identified needs to be done in their lessons. Mm. I really feel like sometimes those things are constrained maybe not the sense of purpose, but the mastery and the autonomy are sometimes constrained because we're in such a high stakes accountability system. And a lot of the time head teachers or school leaders, they, they, they choose a power to model. So they make the decisions. This is what we're gonna to have to do. These are the areas that we're gonna to have to focus on. So we'll put this CPD on and that CPD and that CPD. And sometimes disingenuously, I think maybe they say, oh, you've got a choice because you can do, SEN or you can do differentiation Mm. or you can do that and you can choose which one suits you and I think that Mm. sometimes our schools are are constrained by that um what what would you what would you say in terms of personalizing that professional development and schools allowing staff to have that autonomy within that system of high stakes accountability Mm, yeah I mean it's interesting the example you give there it's almost like the false choices that we give to kids isn't it like yeah when when do you want to do your homework now or after your tea you know it's that, that, that you're you know, doing it well, anyway <laughs> exactly exactly and so you know which which module do you want to do in this uh inset or this cpd do you want to do this one this one or this one and it's, it, a, I think it's a false think choice another you know? example of it is a, a multi-academy trust that has to come into a school that's been mm. um designated designated you know designated yeah, special yeah. measures are you it's not it's not a designation you really want but they've been told by Ofsted that they they need help and special measures and often now we get multi-academy trusts come in and say right these are all our processes systems curriculum even down to sometimes lesson planning we're going to plonk that on your school and that's what you're going to do so I mean mm. that's a that's a sort of a bigger example of it um, yeah yeah and, and, yeah in the long term, can those things work? I don't think so. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's. Uh, I, I think my quick answer would be, yes, I agree with you. They're not going to work, particularly if they are imposed upon you, um, because there isn't that sense of autonomy there. And actually, you probably question the purpose of it. Um, yeah. uh, but I think... A lot of my work, um, a lot of my team's work is in um, in the Nordic world and their free schools, particularly in Sweden, free yeah. schools are quite popular. In fact, um, I head to Stockholm um, on Monday and 50% of uh, the further education is pr- for students in Stockholm is provided by uh, free schools now we call them free they call them independent but they they're, they're not fee paying yeah but they are separate from the the local authority and one of the ways in which these free schools tend to be set up is that lesson plans are centralized now that's not to say that you can't deliver your own lesson plans but there is an expectation that the majority of what you will deliver will be from centralized somewhat standardized lesson plans and it's it to me it's like you know as whenever I did a bit of supply in between jobs it was almost as if I couldn't follow the teacher's lesson plan you know (laughs) I had to adapt it um, okay, give me the, the grand purpose, give me the learning outcomes. But I had to um, individualize it, not just for the students, but also for myself. Yeah. Um, so there is that sense of autonomy. And I, I, that, that worries me a lot when, to, to return to your question, there is that imposition, there is this, right, thou shalt. And it's like this big weighty tomb is dropped on your head, you know, and... 
yeah, I think it's really problematic. It does save time, this centralized uh, lesson uh, planning, but, and that's one of the reasons they do it because, you know, yeah. they're, they're trying to make a profit. They're trying to turn it into more efficient uh, processes. But I think, I think education doesn't fit in to that, that business model. I think education and indeed health, but we're talking education here. I think that is an exception to the rule. And I don't think it can be improved very well by the shareholders or the stakeholders um, investment. I think it has to be, I mean, rule 101 of education is start where the students are at. And so the same must apply to schools. You've got to start where the schools are at. Yeah, I think... One of the things that came to me then is that like I was exactly the same when I had to follow a scheme of learning. I was mm. just I always had to put my own take on it. I ended up teaching RE and the lessons were very didactic and it was on mm. a PowerPoint and you followed it. Mm. It never it never happened that way with me because mm. creativity is it's just mm. I have to be able to be creative. Otherwise, I feel stifled. And I think we don't want teachers to feel like their their creativity is being stifled. And in general, I think teachers are creative people, aren't they? Mm. One of the things that um, I'm I'm working with a school, actually looking at peer to peer coaching um, and they are in a school in difficult circumstances and they need to improve quickly. And one of the things that we've done there is to have, yes, the leadership team have used all the evidence and information that they've got about where teaching is in the school and identified three key areas that they do feel like they need to work on. Then we're working on a model of individual departments looking at how those things apply specifically to their subject. So it's not Mm -hmm. just a generic session that you go to that everybody listens to something. It's actually within a department and they look at how that applies to them and what the research is saying about how it can apply in their subject. And then individual teachers are looking at their own practice and thinking about which aspects of that in their own practice they feel like they could improve or they want to improve. So it works in sort of three tiers. Mm. So yes, you do have that sense that we're in this circumstance and these are the things that the evidence is saying we need to focus on but that it's very subject specific then and the department have had those conversations and professional discussion about how it applies in their subject linking to the purpose and then how it applies sort of individually and i think that's quite a good way within the constraints of having to improve Mm. to give some sense of autonomy and then be working on mastery because they're coaching each other in those mm. different elements does that sound like something mm. that you know is, is a, a way yeah. of solving the problem yeah it, it certainly i'm sure it'll fit um for um some contexts but the more i travel and work with schools in lots of different countries and lots of different contexts the more I'm convinced there isn't one way to do it and there isn't a solution, even neighboring schools, you know, what you've just described could work very, very, very well in one school and not in the neighboring school because it's set up differently or the aspirations or the expectations are different. So it is how do we gather a sense of shared purpose which I think is what you were talking about there as well as give that sense of autonomy within that system um so uh, yeah, it was interesting a, a couple of weeks ago a, a group of Norwegians flew over um to meet me in Aberdeen and we we visited a couple of the schools that we've been working with and and um we they were particularly worried about behavior um, in their schools, not in the schools that they visited, but their own schools back in um, Tisnes, which is just outside of Bergen. And um, I I talked with them about those three main theories of behavior. And we would do well to recognize those theories of behavior and give staff the autonomy 
to be able to set up the behavior management system in their own classroom according to their own set of beliefs. But then when you step into the public arena, so the corridors, the lunch hall, the playground, etc., we do need um, an agreed purpose and an agreed set of guidelines. So very, very briefly, those three types, there's the behaviorist approach and the behaviorist is, is all about the behavior and it, you need to uh, behave appropriately. I'm gonna draw a line in the sand. If you step over that line, that's your fault and you have to take the consequences. So um, assertive discipline is a very classic uh, behaviorist approach. Now, the very opposite to that, is the humanist approach, which is we've got to understand the child, we've got to understand their background and the the, the worries and the trouble that they're going through, and and um, there's um, there's that uh, phrase that the Americans use when we say naughty, they they talk about acting out, and so the humanist idea is you're acting out trauma or or uh, um, a sense of foreboding or shyness you're acting something out and then in the middle there's the cognitive developmentalists who are um, they draw a line in the sand but it's a different line for different kids or maybe different type time of year you know it's not quite the don't smile till Christmas <laughs> but it is the it is that it, it we adjust it so I expect something different of my year nines than I do of my year fives for example yeah. you know so those are three different types now the problem is the behaviorists think that the humanists are the softest people in the world but then the humanists think that the behaviorists were kicked out of the Gestapo for cruelty you know that and there's everything in between and then they both look at the cognitive developmentalists thinking well it must depend on the weather or must depend on their mood as to but we've all got these different approaches and you know you see this between parents you know you, you you'll have the the disciplinarian and you'll have the 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 uh, the humanist who will be, who the kids know we just got to ask that parent and we'll get everything that we want you know now in the classroom we ought to have autonomy to set our own behavior management system. If I am a humanist, then there is no way on this earth that I can run a behaviorist program because I will not treat every child the same because I do think there are extenuating circumstances. Whereas if we tell a behaviorist, you have to listen to the kids and you have to coach them and you have to hear their story, the behaviorists think, I haven't got time for that. Listen, I'm just going to be clear and I'm fair. So we tell people, look, you have autonomy in your classroom and you set clear expectations. And the key is make sure they're fair. Whichever way you go, make sure it's fair. But now what I want is I want two volunteers who self-identify as humanists, two as cognitive developmentists, and two as uh, behaviorists. And I'm going to put you in a room and I'm going to provide lovely refreshments, but I'm going to lock the door and are not allowed out until you have created a behavior management policy for the school that you can live with. None of you will think it perfect because we can't get a perfect system to suit everyone. But I want a system that you can all live with and describe that. And then that is what we will all follow in the public shared spaces of the school and outside. And that is that sense of purpose. It's that sense of autonomy and trying to get the two together. So you can take that to any, any approach. You know, for example, you were talking about uh, being head of English and then as a deputy and your, your remit changed quite considerably, I, 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 I suppose. Yeah. But within your, let's take the English department, there is that sense of I've, I've got to set clear expectations. These are the these are the the ways in which we're going to teach uh, you know, SPAG. These are the ways in which we're going. These are the books we're going to study for GCSE for A level. These are the things we're going to do. But within that, there needs to be autonomy. So in your classroom, if you want to do through Mantle of the Expert, well, knock yourself out, go for it. So long as you are. Um, teaching the same books we're still preparing for the same um, 
GCSEs and so on. Do you see what I mean? There's that yeah, sense yeah. of that broad <laughs> structure, but also the autonomy within it. Yeah, I think what you're talking about there as well is it requires a high level of trust from leaders in a school, doesn't it, to do that? Before we find out more from James about how you can build that trust within your school, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. So I think how as leaders, and that comes down to culture as well, doesn't it? It's the mm. it's the culture, it's that's that's the climate that is set mm. in that school. So how as leaders do you think we can improve the well-being culture in our school? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel it's a tough I'm, question, I'm, isn't it? Because it is very tough. There's yeah. often a culture that's already embedded, and if you have to change it, it's a, it's not an easy yeah, task, I, is it? Yeah, no, it's not at all. Um, uh, I do a lot of work with Carol Dweck, who who's the professor behind Growth yes. Mindset, and we often go on tour together. And when I wrote a book about how to implement it, because most of the time growth mindset does not work in school, even though we we suppose it will, even though we know there's a lot of possibility and power to it, typically it doesn't make much of a difference at all. And when I dug into that much deeper, it turns out that you can you can categorize um, a, a school system into one of two ways. And of course, it's on a continuum. So it, it, this is not black or white, you know, yeah. but let me describe the, the either end of the continuum. So there is the, the uh, performance focus and performance is about the grades are the number one, getting through the curriculum, making sure your lessons are efficient, making sure that the, all the kids are taken along, making sure that you set your clear learning intention, success criteria, and you tick them all off on the way so that we get through everything in the curriculum, we make absolutely sure that they're prepared for the exams. We give them lots and lots and lots and lots of tests. And hey, presto, we typically, we get very, very, very good results. That's one end of the curriculum, uh, the continuum, sorry. The other end is that learning focus. And it's much more about not so much how efficient can we be, but how inclusive can we be, how collaborative, how deep can we go with this whereas the performance is about getting the points learning is about getting the point you know it's that broader idea of finding out about myself and finding out about each other and yes grades are important but we're going to focus on learning to learn to we're going to focus on helping children to flourish um, rather than helping children to pass tests. Now, it's not an either or, of course. You know, one does tend to lead to the other. But if you are in a performance-focused school, then growth mindset very, very, very rarely works because the messages within growth mindset are quite opposite to the performance focus. So in growth mindset, it's about... Um, love your mistakes because we'll examine them and we'll learn lots from it. Whereas in a performance focus, no, no, let's just, let's get rid of mistakes as quickly as we can and let's get through it. Um, so growth mindset doesn't work in a performance focus, but you know what, of course, it, I mean, it, it absolutely brings a learning focus alive. But this is where it gets interesting. 
if you recognize that your school is too performance focused and you want to move more towards the, the learning focus, then you could use growth mindset as the vehicle to do that. But know that it will be hard graft. You're going to have a lot of bumps in the way. And my final point to return to your question is this. If you've got a performance-focused school and a new head teacher comes in who has a performance focus and who is very, very, very good at efficiency and, and grades and high expectations and getting everybody through it, then it, it's a marriage made in heaven. But if you've got a performance-focused school with a learning-focused head teacher, she or he is going to have to undo an awful lot of things going on in the school, and that's going to cause problems. And of course, the opposite is true. You've got a learning focus, and you bring a performance-focused head teacher in, yikes, you've got yourself some problems. And I think that's then about recruitment, isn't it? And mm. when you choose the school that you want to go for a job, I think very much in the past, it's just been if someone's looking for a deputy head post or a head post, something comes up that's within a a distance that they can get yeah. to they'll apply for it and they'll go for yeah. it and there needs to be you need to be more considerate considerate that's not even a, word, <laughs> yeah, a lovely word you need, of English, <laughs> you need to be more considerate <laughs> i've just made up a new word um, but you need to con you need to consider very carefully what the values of that school are and sure. whether they align with your own values and that's some of the work that governors can do as well in terms of mm. the recruitment process and this is what our school is this is what we value you know this is what we believe and make sure that they get the right people applying for a, a post in that in that place because you're mm, right you, you can't go into a school when you've got completely different values from a, a staff and mm. change everything so I agree with that and the other thing is I'm glad you brought up growth mindset because I was going to ask you about how it can have an impact on staff well-being as well mm. and, and well, there were two things the first one was I think the reason that growth mindset doesn't work in a lot of schools is because a it's decided oh that's worked somewhere else we'll do that that'll be great b then they try to do it, but it's a surface level that yes. they don't understand the deeper principles behind it. And they don't really understand what they need to do in terms of implementing it and sustaining it over a longer period of time. Like you said, mm. it's not, you're not going to change your school to a growth mindset school in a term. That's not, no. that's not going to happen. So there's, there's an issue with that. People think it's an off the shelf. I can just take that and put it in mm. my school and then we'll be a growth mindset school and everything will change. And the kids all of a sudden will go, well, you know, it's not that I can't do maths and that I'm rubbish at mm. maths. It's actually mm. that maths is a really hard subject and mm. I find certain aspects of it difficult. But if I work really hard at it and take the time mm. to do it, I can figure it out. It's not, mm. it's not, that, it's not that simple, is it? Children no, are not just no, going to switch their no. mindset and go, mm. actually... I've got a set mind, closed set mindset, and all of a sudden mm. I've got a growth mindset. Mm. So there are a couple of things that that, that sort of brought up for me that you've, it's got to be chosen. You've got to understand it. You've got to do the work beforehand to really get to grips with what it is, what it means, how it works. Yes. Before you even start considering applying it in your school. Yes. But can it work with staff as well in terms yes. of improving their well-being? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, very much so with the same caveats as I've mentioned before. It depends on your culture and depends on your intention. So let me pick an example, um, uh, marking and feedback that we spend an inordinate amount of time on. And I think that has a negative impact, generally speaking, on our well-being, because mm -hmm. if you think about how much time you spend marking books, and, and how you know, much I, time you spend thinking about all the books that you've got to mark. Absolutely. Oh, and that when sure, you've marked sure. some, you've got yeah, more to mark. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah indeed. You know, and, indeed. And how many uh, staff have spent this the half term just gone, you know, Catching weighted up. down with books? And the sad, sad um, situation is it makes very, very little difference to the students unless we do it in the right way. And very few schools are doing it in the right way. So um, feedback has to be advice. 
and it has to be well used by the students and that's often part of the 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 uh, formula that falls down because students often don't use it and it has to be advice that is well used to improve learning and or the student's application so if you mark books after a student has finished that piece of work then you've got almost no chance whatsoever of it being in any way influential because the kids have already done it. <laughs> the only time that we should do any depth of marking is before they finish. And we should then, I mean, if you, if you give grades, let's say and you're in secondary and you do give grades, then what you should do is you, you make sure that they've done what they perceive as the best that they can do without any of your advice you then give them your advice. It doesn't have to be written, but it could be. And if you are marking, that's the time to do it. You give them the advice and then you say, right, once you've used that advice, come back and I'll grade it for you. Now in primary, generally we don't grade it, but it's still the same process. Here is my advice and I'll go and use it. And we need to make sure that the kids, um, shall we say, assume that a piece of work is not finished until they've applied our feedback. I mean, it's a, it's a relatively simple, straightforward thing. Relatively yet, simple, but the children do not understand that, do they? It's no, like, I've but done it, most, I did it. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that's the language we're using in the classroom. We need to stop our they've students saying... They've learned that somewhere, haven't they? They have, they, yeah. Somewhere absolutely. along the way, yeah. they've learned. And, and so have we, you know, and, you know, if we can track it back, you go back to the Victorian age where the uh, comprehensive education began and we are still stuck with a lot of those Victorian ideals that my role as a teacher is to tell kids who's clever and who's not. You know, it's, and I, uh, I'm being tongue-in-cheek there, but it's that sense of we, if we mark books that kids think they finished the work, then you may as well just put them in a shelf and put a nice little stamper on it or something because it makes almost no difference. So we have to get the kids saying, I'm doing my first draft or I'm taking my first attempt or I'm having my first go at it. We have to get them talking provisionally rather than I'm doing my work. So then they say, I've finished my draft. What do you think? Rather than I've finished my work, how did I do? You know, we've got to change that language and that fits in with the growth mindset, but it also fits in with the well-being because students also need that sense of mastery. And if they haven't got that sense of mastery, then they are going to be suffering in their, their well-being and their mental health as well. They need a sense of purpose. They need a sense of autonomy. I and mean, how many kids are doing homework, for example, thinking, what the hell's the point of this? Why am I doing it? I'm just doing it because I've been given something to do. Yes. So where's the sense of purpose there? Where's the sense of mastery? Where's the sense of autonomy? But if we say to the kids, right, the process is this. I'm going to give you some clear guidance and I'm going to give you what a good one looks like. And here's some ideas. Right now, draft it up, first of all, then compare notes with each <laughs> other and then write it properly and hand in your best draft and we have to use that term best draft. And then I will give you some advice and then you can finish it. And you're describing and that well-being. You're describing there. I'm thinking like, how does that apply to staff? And it applies to staff because a lot of staff come in and in the same way that a child does a piece of work and says, right, there we go. I've done it. They come in, they stand in front of five classes throughout the day mm. they deliver whatever it is they think they're supposed to be delivering and then they go home and they go there you go I've done it and it gets to the end of the week and it's a weekend and there's another week gone and there's another half term yeah. gone and I've done what I need to do yeah. I think coaching can develop growth mindset when you use it in classrooms for exactly the same reason that mm. you're talking about because it makes you see something as a, a much longer process in which you constantly trying to improve and you're looking mm. for areas coaching is a little bit different from feedback because you get the advice with the feedback for the pupils but coaching mm. engage en encourages a member of staff to engage in that conversation that says right mm. what what did I do well what am I really good at but where are those areas where I can do even better and how can mm. I develop those so That's that they good. understand that you know, I'm not the finished article as a teacher. Mm. I think it's um, Dylan mm. William, isn't it, who mm. said, 
you know, we we don't we don't want to get better because like we we're told to or something, but it's because everyone can be a better teacher. And that's that's the whole, I think that's the whole thing with the growth mindset that you're on a journey mm. of learning and you you have mm. to keep learning about what makes your teaching great. And then that gives you also that sense of autonomy and that sense of purpose, like that I'm doing something, I'm trying to be the best teacher that mm. I can be. Mm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, the only thing I would adjust in everything you've just said would be to focus the, t- the term teaching rather than teacher. Because yeah. I think if, if you are coming to coach me to help me to be a better teacher, I might take that as a, the implication is I'm not a good enough teacher yeah. yet. But if you are coming in to um, help me to build my teaching uh, experience or range yeah. or pedagogy, um, you're, you're going to help me with my teaching, then yeah. that, and that's a growth mindset reference there, yeah. but that, 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 that could be more powerful. So for example, if you come in to observe the learning in my classroom and then we talk about it afterwards yeah. and then I reciprocate and I visit your classroom and we talk about the learning and then we talk about what have we learned from observe, observing yeah. that learning and now let's plan together and if if the school is uh, a, appropriate context for this we do a team teach uh, one time and have based on those conversations so it's and that links in with what I was talking about with the feedback. Rather than I watch you and that's your lesson done and then I give you feedback. Yeah. It's, this is you teaching. This is me teaching. We then talk about the learning that's been taking place and we design the next steps. Because yes, you will yeah. teach with different attitudes, different um, strategies, different classroom management than I will and vice versa. And we can learn things from each other. And I might think, oh, that's really interesting. She uh, engages those kids that I just don't ever seem to even get a flicker from, you know, and you might be thinking, oh, that's interesting. He moves from that intro into uh, giving them chance to try it and the language he was using was this and then he came back to that so that and it's talking about that teaching I think is really the teaching powerful. and the learning as well isn't mm, it it's about mm, it's absolutely. about both it's about how you're yes. developing the learning of the of the pupils as well yes. and yes. and I think what you're talking about there is the idea of when you're working on coaching it's reciprocal it's not mm. one person mm. saying oh I did that I saw that and maybe you could have done this or you could have done mm. that better it's more of an open this is what I saw you know yes. tell me about it how do you feel it went you know so so you're engaging in a dialogue and mm. it's not one person making a judgment on another it's reciprocal and the mm. person who's doing the coaching can improve just as much as the person who's being coached as well. Indeed. It's about development Indeed, yeah. for both people, mm, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're talking about, I think we've, we've touched on the idea of feedback and that idea that people, if teachers, you know, they're using holidays to catch up on marking that potentially mm. doesn't have any impact on the pupils' mm. learning. But, you know, mm. there, there is a huge amount to do in teaching, but there's never enough time mm. And that for me is the circle that I just can't square Mm. because we talk about well-being and reducing workload, but often it's just talk. We're talking about Mm. how we reduce workload. You can't reduce the workload in teaching because it's there. You have to plan. You have to teach the children. You have to provide feedback in some way. And then there are all the other things with the parents' evenings and open evenings and things like that. You can't not do those things. Mm. So, how do we go about approaching the workload issue? Yeah, I think um, I, I totally agree that there's never enough time and there's always more that we can do. And I, I suppose that the same applies to pretty much every profession. I mean, just take the public sector. You can imagine the health sector thinking exactly the same thing. I could have done more and I, I ought to have visited that patient more. I ought to have spent a bit more time listening to that person and so on. Uh, um, but I think um, one key part of the of well-being, but also of productivity, and maybe those do connect in with each other, is identifying um, the have tos, and then 
you identify after that, it would be nice to. And one of the things that I have to do here um, in this year, in this term, in this month, in this week, and prioritize those. I know if, if I have a day in the office, it's really far too easy to get in and just faff on with emails. You know, yeah. and then and then you know, morning cup of tea time, and then and then you'd faff on a little bit more, and the, and you think you get to lunchtime, and then blinking egg, you know, half my day's gone, and all I've done is mess around with emails. Whereas if you're coming in to the classroom or to the your department or to the staff room, and you are ident- and you know these are the high leverage things, these are the high impact things, these are the things I'm going to do and do brilliantly, and everything else is a um, a bonus if I've got the time. I think that becomes important. I was listening to um, a really interesting radio program the other day. That was talking. Uh, it's very relevant, of course, with the uh, the COP uh, conference in Glasgow right now. And was talking about um, planting trees, and that the the mistake that um, people are making is that they count the number of trees planted, um, but most of those trees actually wither and die. <laughs> over a two-year period and actually what they ought to be looking at is how many trees are flourishing eight years after they were planted because that hits maturity and forgive me if I've got the exact numbers wrong there but uh, I think that's what they were saying and it got me to thinking about outcomes in schools I think far too often we're focused on what we're putting in I've taught this lesson I've taught 20 lessons this week or I've taught them this spelling rule or I've taught them about this character in this play and so on and I've delivered it rather than thinking what are the outcomes here what what do we see as improvements and what are we aiming to um, um, see differently later on so again that if i if i might draw back to feedback for a moment because that's a a tangible uh, example there instead of as leaders we should not be looking for have teachers marked books what we should be looking for is what impact has the marking had so we should be looking for the improvements that the kids have made as a result of the feedback not what feedback did the teachers give? Similarly, for, as teachers, um, what, what do we want our kids, by the end of this term, we want them to be more um, uh, sure of themselves when speaking in a public arena, or we want them to be uh, more uh, in a better habit of full stops and capital letters than they have originally. You know, so it's not I've taught it, it's this is the outcome that I'm looking for and all the time thinking about that. And identify the big, big pieces that are one might even say non-negotiables, but I'm going to say the the absolute um, uh, key aspects of learning that we want to see as an impact, as an outcome rather. And then everything else is a, is a, a bonus. I mean, I think I'm speaking here as a recovering uh, workaholic. You know, I, 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 when I was a leader, one of the things I did was make sure I was in first and out last. I mean, utterly utterly insane i mean talk about uh, demonstrating bad practice look at me i'm sacrificing my family for the good of the school you know i wasn't saying that but basically you know i, I was you don't almost, have to say it to give that message yeah, do you exactly it's just insane that we think that hard work is the important thing no it's and, not and to, and, Clever and work that's, that's a phrase that's repeated so often my my head at my last school used to say thanks for your hard work all oh, your hard work this oh, yeah, and yeah. working hard that Absolutely. And, and and it creates that sense of pressure and it's interesting that you've just said that because that links in to the question I was going to ask and this will be the last question for today um is how do you look after your own well-being because I do believe what I think what you've said there applies that that tree metaphor planting trees applies mm. to well-being as well because you yes, can put absolutely. lots of well-being initiatives in place 
but are they working you've got to you've got to be continually and the only way you do that is by asking staff by going around looking at staff yes. talking to them engaging with them and knowing them mm. and mm. and that's how you see if the trees are growing when you've planted them mm. so you can do you can put in place all the well-being initiatives that you want but if they're not working and your staff aren't well then it's pointless um mm. but i do i, I do mm. believe that schools have a responsibility to look after the well-being of their staff mental physical sure. social all those things that you mentioned but staff do have a responsibility to look after their own well-being and leaders i think even more so have a responsibility to look after their own well-being because they're role modeling that for the members of staff like you just said the head who comes in who's first in the mm. car park last mm. out to leave always mm. talks about how how much workload he's got and sends emails yeah. out i say, yeah. I say he she yeah. it's a terrible thing because i'm a, <laughs> an advocate for women leaders um and you know you give that message out to staff that that's what you expect of them yes. so how do you look after your well-being i mean you're exceptionally busy aren't you you're traveling all yeah. around the world and doing yeah. podcasts and speaking and conferences yeah. and all that yeah. how yeah. do you take care of your well-being Personally, um, yeah, it, it is very much about uh, getting the, I'm getting a better balance now. And as I mentioned, I am a recovering workaholic. And, um, you know, I, I look back sometimes and think, hang on a minute, I wrote 11 books in a, in a, in a five-year period whilst I was also on the road 200 days a year. So I am not the right person to talk, to, uh, to ask advice for. But I am getting much, 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 much better at it. And the pandemic has that's the silver lining for me is I, I had to stop and I learned how to relax. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right that we have to be really careful as leaders what we are showing we value. You know, my, my eldest is in her GCSE year right now. And um, when things opened up again, she had a, some of her mates round, and I thought I'd be go, I'll go and be groovy dad and hang out with the teenagers, you know. And it was like acne and limbs everywhere. And I, I said to them, uh, you know, what, what, what are your teachers like? And then and I was, well, what do they value? And they went, ugh, all our kit, all our teachers care about is what you look like. And I said. I'm a teacher. I know a lot of teachers. Not one of us care what people look like. They said, well, our teachers do. I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, they just can't help themselves. Whenever they walk past you in the corridor, they have to mention your uniform, do your tie-up, tuck your shirt in, make sure your shoe shoelaces are done. They just can't help themselves. And I just thought to myself, those teachers are doing their absolute best for these kids and then it's undone with some loose-lipped comment like that you know and it's exactly the same for the leaders we undo so much by thanks for your good for your hard work I mean what thanks for your for the uh, uh, impact that you're having or thanks for listening to the kids or or thanks for um, encouraging them thanks for uh, helping these kids to flourish you know those are the comments we should be saying not thanks for your hard work you know and it's similarly those teachers don't mention the school uniform listen I'm an advocate I I think school uniforms are important but I don't think they're more important than well-being and health and vitality and flourishing so you know I, I when when I walk past the kids in the corridor I'm trying to remind myself ask questions like what's the the the, the best thing you've done today or you know I mentioned in the introduction learning pit is something that I I share with a lot of schools you know when, when was the last time you're in the learning pit or what was the best strategy or what's the best joke I mean anything not flipping uniform and the same for leaders not flipping hard work for goodness sake we have to model this so engage and say i loved how you were giving uh, that uh, those students the opportunity to try something new and different or uh, love love that we're we're trying new strategies here or that uh, the kids are, are buzzing right now. They're obviously really enjoying it. Thanks for everything you're doing to help the kids enjoy their learning. 
Do you see what I mean? Or, or thanks yeah. for having a smile in your face. And obviously you have to make sure we don't say it in a sarcastic manner. You know? yeah. Yeah. But it, it's what do we want to value? And let's make absolutely sure we reiterate that again and again and again and again. And I would say that the, the, the days of um, praising people for hard work ought to be gone. And it should be about flourishing it should be about engaging it should be about enjoying it should be about passion it should be about mastery it should be about purpose you know thanks for being a, a great role model for these kids with this sense of purpose and love of literature or you know drama or sport or you know thanks for demonstrating fair play today I, I think that was a really important lesson for the kids Great. So what's one thing you're going to do to improve your own well-being this week, James? Uh, well, I, I've got back into the habit of swimming. And so I swim four times a week. And right. I, I used to just put that always, always, in, oh, I haven't got time for it or I'm going to be traveling. Or, but uh, no, I, I put in uh, four swim sessions a week now. And uh, I've, I've got made myself a posse of grandmas. It's great. We go and hang out together. Yeah. Me and the gannies down the, down the <laughs> pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Excellent. Yeah. Mm. excellent it's been great to talk to you I, I really appreciate the time that you've taken some some really really brilliant ideas shared there I'm sure that people will have, well there's loads to take away for people so thank you very much if people want to You're find out welcome. about challenging learning the learning pit all the work that you're mm. doing where can they find you uh, if you go to challenginglearning.com uh, you'll find all sorts of things there um, so challenging as it's, it is the verb there, challenginglearning.com. And are you on Twitter? Yes, I am um, at James Nottingham, but you have to drop the last A. There's some James Nottingham in Texas, poor fella. He's only got like five followers or something. He keeps getting retweeted on, on the learning pit. I'm sure this fella's thinking, what in the hell is the learning pit? But anyway, it's at James Nottingham, but get rid of the last day. So it's James Nottingham. Brilliant. Um, yeah. There are so many other things I wanted to talk to you about today. So it's been a really great interview. I really would love you to come back and talk to us again at some point in the future. I'd love would. to. I'd love brilliant. to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great. great. Well, thanks have for the invite. You are very welcome. It's been amazing to talk to you. Have a great day. You too. What a great interview. I just want to say thank you to James for that and taking the time to talk to us today and sharing his experience and his wisdom. So the, the key things I think to take from this interview are one of the things he said about prioritising your workload and supporting your own well-being is looking at the things that I have to do and the things that it would be nice to do. And I love that idea of separating, I suppose there's an element of the urgent and important in that. But to me, that's a much better way to approach it. Today, I have to, and it would be nice to. And if you don't get round to the things that it would be nice to do, it doesn't matter. They can stay on, on that list, can't they? And learning how to relax as well is very important. It's like I was saying at the start of the show, we are responsible for our own well-being. We have a responsibility to ourselves, to the people that we work with, the children that we teach, the people that we live with as well, to look after our own well-being so that our mental health can stay good, our physical health can stay good, and we can be well for ourselves and for all the people around us who we connect with and communicate with on a daily basis. So in order to do that, we have to learn to prioritise some of those activities. Don't be afraid of doing something on a weekday evening. Just go out and do it and enjoy it for its own sake. It's really important that you do that. And just the little things that you can do that build up that sense of well-being. The other thing that I really loved in the conversation that we had, and I mean, I loved just all of the conversation really but the metaphor of the trees it struck me as just really really pertinent to well-being and to lots of the things that we do you planted the trees but did they grow did they flourish and you really have to think about that because a lot of the time we do lots and lots and lots of things but do they actually have any impact do they have an impact on the well-being of staff or the well-being of pupils 
or the progress of pupils and the achievements of pupils and the development of staff and pupils. These are the things that we really need to start thinking about. What has been the impact of all the things that we've done? And constantly, consistently, constantly, continuously, whatever it might be, assessing those things, evaluating them. And if they're not working, get rid of them, bin them. We don't have to do these things. So that's really important. Think about the metaphor of the trees, all of the trees that you've planted and whether they actually grew. That's about all we've got time for today. If you would like to have a chat with me about how coaching could help you to improve your well-being, then you can email me at vicky at womenleadwell.co.uk. Also, if you'd like to join the Women Lead Well Network, I'd love you to join that. You can join the Facebook group or you could join one of my group coaching programmes for women leaders. So that really is all we've got time for today. I look forward to speaking to you next time. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.